Hey there, it's Joan Green, and you are listening to Navigating Two Worlds, where we are truly blessed to spend time learning about the complexities of interracial families. This show is designed to support an incredible community of women married to Black men who love deeply and are driven to make a positive impact within their homes and beyond through education, conversation, and love. So let's get started. Welcome back. I am super excited to introduce to you our guest, Katie Harris. Katie is a marketing professional who has been married to her husband, Phil, for seven years and has a very unique perspective to share with us about her role in their beautiful relationship. Katie, thanks so much for being here. Hi, Joan. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So let's just jump right in. Um, I am excited to hear how you met Phil and what it was that first attracted him to you. Oh, my goodness. Yes, there are so many things. Um, So (laughs) we met in 2011. Um, Of all things, my sister-in-law actually introduced um, us to each other. And um, yeah, like it was kind of the last of like that old school dating, like blind date kind of setup thing. So she set us up, they worked together. Um, She told me a little bit about him and said, you know, he's really just a unique guy. Like, I just feel like you'll really mesh. So we actually went out on our first date. Um, It was a double date with my oldest brother and Mm. (laughs) sister-in-law, which is really funny to look back on now. Um, But yeah, so we met and we just instantly connected. Um, I want to say first off, and I can just remember that conversation so well. And it was um, our passion and love for city life and the arts and fashion and travel. And we just, we just fed off each other and he was so charismatic and um, just, a, just a character. Like he just stood out to me. Like no one else had ever done in little Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. <laughs> right. I was going to ask where you guys were living at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Lancaster, Pennsylvania. <laughs> So, so when you talk about the love for city life, if you are from Lancaster, how did you get that and where, and, and was he also from Lancaster and, and where did that love of city life come from? That's a great question. So, um, we're both from Lancaster. He was, um, kind of, we're just like different ends of Lancaster County. So he was like Millersville area. I was in, um, a little town called Elizabethtown. Um, but he, uh, he ended up going to Messiah college and while he was there, he went to temple. Um, and just, he, I think he always knew he just loved Philly, loved New York. And part mm-hmm. of it is like that fast paced fashion travel lifestyle. It kind of all meshes right. together. So even if we both grew up in those small towns, we both had those like similar passions. Um, and so for me too, I grew up always going to Philly to see um, some family. And anytime I would go to the city, I was just, I felt even as a really small kid, I would look around and be like, I want to be here. Just people were more yeah. interesting. Yeah. Like cultures, everything about it. Um, just really drew me in. So I think that's definitely what joined us together there for sure. I love that. And I love that you knew it right away. And obviously his sister knew, which which is even crazier. So what yeah. a fun way to meet. Um, and then I know from getting to know you guys a little bit that faith is a huge part of your foundation. So can you tell yeah. me how you figured out that you guys had kind of a similar faith and how that's grown over the years? Yeah. Yeah. I'm so glad you asked that. Um, so it's funny. I, you know, when my sister-in-law first introduced us, um, she kind of right away was like, well, I know, you know, I don't know too much about him. I know that he's a man of faith because I know, you know, he went to Messiah and he went to Dayspring and these like are just schools that I knew at least had a faith-based background. So it kind of, 
an encouragement at first when we were, you know, just getting to know each other that I knew there was some interest. And as we grew in our friendship and relationship, it was almost immediately like I had come out of some not so great relationships. So I was kind of a stickler right away on knowing where he stood on faith and um, what if it was personal to him. And so I want to say like maybe third date in, I was like, okay, so I promised myself (laughs) that I wouldn't go too far with like anyone in a relationship before I started to really know like where they stood in their own personal faith. Um, and so he knew right away, like I wasn't messing around (laughs) and we thankfully both connected that, um, you know, our relationship with Christ and God was first and foremost. Um, and that was really like the foundation of the friendship, um, first, and then we ended up going to church together and yeah, it just was a really great way to start. So (laughs) that was, um, it's just kind of funny as I look back, I was probably a little intense when I, (laughs) when I started dating. (laughs) He knew you were serious about faith and that, and you know what, it it could have scared him away or it could have drew him in and it drew him in. So (laughs) that's that's God working in amazing ways as well. Um, so great. And I, I know that in so many relationships, um, faith of any kind, whether it's the universe mm-hmm. or God mm-hmm. or um, any other being that's really helping bring two people together, um, it's, it's incredibly important. Yep. And I guess when you look at that and you look at how you guys meshed with um, your love for fashion, your love for the city, your love for travel, your great faith, did color ever enter into your decision or did you hesitate because, well, by the way, he's a black man? Mm. Did that enter into your mind? So personally, no, um, it was never my, like an inward thought, like, oh no, it, it may be because I knew of the conservative area that we were both growing up in, um, or grew up in that, you know, I knew it was going to be a factor down the road, possibly with family, um, maybe more on my side. Um, but it was never like, oh, a hesitation at all in dating. It was, partly just his love for culture and just his experiences and stuff that drew me in. So yeah, not, not for me. And I don't think for him either, he would say that that was like a concern that he was going to date, you know, a white girl or yeah, what that would look like. So. Right. Right. And you said you had some relationships that didn't work out before. Had you ever dated um, a black man or a man of another culture? Yes. Yes, I did. Yeah. So I dated um, only very few boyfriends. Um, They're very, very short actually, um, relationships and yeah, I dated a black uh, man and I dated a white man and yeah. So I, I had some experience before. Context, too, for yeah. Sure. Mm-hmm, yep. Yeah. All right. So you guys are getting along great. Everything's going well. You've got the faith conversation under your belt, which is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so how did your family embrace your interracial relationship and then his family as well? Yeah. So my family, I think it's kind of, it sounds kind of funny saying it this way, but they, kind of knew, always knew along that I was interested in other uh, people of different races, backgrounds, ethnicities, cultures, whether it was for relationships or not. It was just something I had always been drawn to as a, just this little girl growing up in a a very white environment. I, I just felt, um, I guess just not very stimulated. Sometimes I just wanted more and experience more from other places and people. And so I think deep down, they kind of were ready. um, And Mm -hmm. that sounds funny, but from a white background and conservative family in Lancaster County, that I think is kind of like, it is a fear. Um, And even if it's not necessarily like a racially biased, it's just this underlying, I think it's a protective concern um, and an unknown that white families 
they just, they don't know necessarily how to handle. Um, and so I think the concern was, well, you know, like down the road when you get married and you have kids, like, what about your kids? Like that was always like the question on my, my family. Um, and I, I think they just, because it was something they didn't know. Um, and I think it stemmed from a true love and, you know, concern for just my life being quote unquote easiest that it could be, Mm -hmm. um, in marriage and, and family. So, um, yeah, so I would say that would be the hesitation on my family's end. And then even like my grandparents, of course, they grew up in such a different time. Um, and so they only had certain context for Black America and, and Black people. And I mean, oh my goodness, I don't know if they really knew many at all right. <laughs> before no, they yeah. interacted with Phil. Um, yeah. So, and then on Phil's side, um, honestly, I would say they, no, not, not really any hesitation on their side or um, concern. I think his family was a little more culturally mixed. Um he has family, um, you know, white family members and families um, from just different backgrounds in general, like through the generations. So I think like for them, they were actually kind of like, it, they just didn't even really think about it that much. I, I'm sure that as parents, they had concerns, maybe the same as mine in different ways, but yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's really good. And like you said, somebody had gone before you um, in an interracial marriage in his family and multicultural backgrounds. And that does mm-hmm. change just the dynamic of the ease of welcoming a white person into their family. Mm -hmm. Um, I grew up more similar to you and my parents were definitely not on board with Kevin um, being a part of our family until they met him. And Mm -hmm. and it was a hard, it was a hard, it was hard to get to that point. It took us a long time. um, And I can tell that story another day, but Mm -hmm. but once they finally met him and his mom and we did the guest who's coming to dinner, dinner, we truly did (laughs) We had it at my parents' house and his mom came in with all the grace and, and her faith was beaming and you could tell mm. that she had been through this before too, right? Mm. So they were more used to that. And um, and so we had that dinner and my parents really realized that these are amazing faith-driven human people who just love and yeah. that turned the tables for us. Wow. Um, so do you remember kind of that first meeting of your mm. parents met Bill? I do. I want to say it was my, cause we met in the summer and then like early summer and then my birthday was in August. So I, he came, I think for bless his heart for a family dinner for my birthday. Wow. Um, cause I still lived at home. Mm-hmm. Um, so he came and it was like all my brothers, my grandparents, like the whole, I have three brothers. <laughs> and so, <Wow>. um, <laughs> I do remember that really well. And, you know, I think they were just blown away because Phil is unlike anyone, regardless of race. He's just unlike anyone. I think that people meet, he's just very charismatic and very, he's a storyteller and very larger than life. And just, so I think they were kind of just like, well, I just did not expect (laughs) his personality at all. And so it was, um, but it was very comfortable. My whole family's super social. So everyone can hold a really great conversation and everyone um, you know, really seeks to have a relationship, especially when my dad was alive. He just, he meshed with him right away and, um, really loved, like Phil loves stimulating conversation. And that's, that was my dad. So they really connected. Um, connected so quickly, I, yeah. 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 And I think blew my grandparents away in a lot, <laughs> a lot of ways that they had these, you know, underlying stereotypes or, um, 
you know, understandings of the black community. So, or misunderstandings of the black community. Yeah. Right. Good yeah. for him. And, and how brave is he that, you know, to walk in those, in that oh. door that day, which is his love for you. Right. Oh my <laughs> so gosh. Great. I'm awesome. Now. <laughs> all right. So you've been married for all these years. Um, what do you find to be the most challenging aspect of being married to a black man in this time in our country's history? So all that withstanding, you made it through the family and everybody mm-hmm. is, you know, loving on each other. Um, mm-hmm. But what do you find to be challenging about the time we're in right now? Hmm. Yeah, I I think it comes down to, and we, like you said, we've been through so much. We've been through my father's death. Like we've been through like a lot of really personal struggles within like just our relationship and family history. But when it comes down to just like being married to a black man, I think for me, I have this constant, in a good way, burden um, of just personal accountability or responsibility to like be, be knowledgeable, be educated on um, what the black struggle is and what it's like to walk in Phil's shoes in a woman of color's shoes. Um, and really, I think that's what it, it's more about. Am I doing enough? Like, am I, do, he shouldn't be the one that always has to speak to this. Like I should be educated enough to know the history Um, of our nation and to know like what's going on right now that is still that ripple effect from, you know, generations before. So it's, yeah, it's always that, like, I don't, I don't think it's a daily, but I definitely feel like it's always there where I'm like, am I, am I just floating along because he makes my life so easy and he's so agreeable and, you know, we live in a certain socioeconomic, like status, all of that, like it's, it becomes easy. So it's really that constant challenge for myself as a white woman. Um, because I never, I've never had the same (laughs) struggles and I never will. No, for sure. And I appreciate that so much. I think that is, that's what we're being asked and called to do right now is to just be mindful and Mm -hmm. self-educate and, Mm -hmm understand, like you said, the history, understand the last 400 years, understand mm-hmm. how that helped create the man who you do love and right. how it continues to be part of the systemic racism in our country and, and mm-hmm. what we can do. So I, I love that you're owning that. And I think that's where we all should be at if, if we can at this point in time. Mm-hmm. Um, so kudos to you. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. And I know, I know uh, it's not easy. Believe me, I'm, I'm coming right. from the same place for sure. Um, and so I know eventually you guys have talked about that you would want children and things. Mm-hmm. How do you, how do you discuss or how do you feel together about raising biracial children? Do you have any nervousness? Are you just super excited to get out there and teach them everything? Like, how oh does my that? Gosh. Guys? It's like a little <laughs> bit of both. I think, yeah. Um, yeah. I think, I think maybe, well, I don't want to say more so on me, but it goes back to that whole, like, will I be able to teach them um, from really empathy? like just from empathy and understanding. Um, and you know, it also depends on like, it's, it sounds kind of silly, but how dark they are, how light they are like that all. I mean, there's so many layers to the black community and being, and the white community and being accepted in the world. Um, and so I think there is a lot of, I think anxiety that comes around it, or just like, as we see in the news and um, things that are still currently happening in the country and how we will have to have those conversations early on. Um, But I think what we're really excited about is, you know, like everyone, you look back on your family and you think, okay, this is what (laughs) I'm going to do in my future. And my family was amazing. His family was amazing. But 
I would say for us, we want to start early on and just like have that kind of open forum where our kids aren't afraid to ask or tell us um, of situations or, you know, questions they might have about who they are and, and all of that. So I, I, it's kind of coupled with like fear and excitement <laughs> together and maybe with parenting. <laughs> correct. And parenting in general is, is that that's, you yeah. know, having my children are in their early twenties. So having gone through all of that, that fear and anxiety of, can I do it? Am I the right person? Mm. Can I be a great mom? But when you add on the layer of a mixed family and biracial children, I think it does elevate that. Um, yeah. On the other hand, because you guys are so aware, your um, your need to start early and, and the resources and the education that you're giving yourself now certainly will help with that. And you know that, yeah. but I am, I am in agreement with you. This is, this time in our history has become a time where I have heard more about the biracial community than I have in all of the years that I've had children. Hmm. And I think it's exciting that the country is really recognizing that this is a group and a community of people who sometimes don't have a home or a fit. Mm, and as mm-hmm. a parent, it is our job to help them determine where they choose to fit. And that's, yeah. that's a huge, so. Oh, that's so, that's such a good point. Um, and it makes me even think like, right when you were saying it's probably because of my marketing background and stuff, but I, you know, I don't know if you've noticed even in the last year, just the media in general yeah. and commercials, yes. um, you see a lot more, um, interracial families on just like everyday commercials. And that was not a thing even like five years ago. I totally agree with that. And of course, at, at first we were like, yay, look at the, look at it go. And then as we realized that that, <laughs> that is the, that is the right thing to be happening. Uh-huh. But we're also wondering, I'm also wondering is, is putting this uh, dynamic in front of people, making it seem like, um, that that community of, of biracial people and mixed families don't need education and don't need to learn mm. because there they are and they look like the perfect family just like us. Yeah, um, yeah that's I, I don't know how it's going to pan out, but yeah, I know it, it's such a tough one because I I tend to and we were talking about this a little bit before we got on the call, but I was saying sometimes I'm cynical when it comes to advertising or things in the media mm-hmm. because you just think, well, this is just a pushed agenda and they're not really authentic. They're just selling to what's trendy right now. Like even Black Lives Matter, all of that is trendy black owned businesses. Like that's a whole thing I talked to my uh, my boss about who's a black owned uh, black woman in a black owned business. And so, yeah, so I, I do, I go back and forth like, is this a good thing? But I guess, you know, it's a good place to start <laughs> and then sure. hopefully right. we can we can build on that. Yeah, absolutely. And I know a part of what what you're going to bring, you know, what you bring to your marriage as well as for your kids is you have personally had such an incredible connection to the African-American and Black community. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we talked about, you know, some of that comes from just the city and really energized by that. But also you're, you're highly in service to others. So can you speak a little bit about where that um, commitment to community and commitment to serving the Black Mm -hmm. community has come from? Yeah, I think um, right away, I, it's so funny. Every time I'm talking about this, my dad comes to mind. And it's just so funny. I get emotional, right, when I talk about him. But he passed a few years ago. Um, and he was so mission and ministry minded. So for him, he just wanted to meet people from all, all walks of life, all different backgrounds. And I think that desire, just it's a genetic thing. It's a spiritual thing. It's It's in me too. And so I think from really little on up, I just had always been drawn to people that were different from me. I wanted to hear from them and see them. And so I think it's just this intrinsic thing that was taught 
Um, you know, my parents are both involved with just, I think, understanding people of different backgrounds. And I think it really was more for my dad, but I, I, I think I owe that to him a little bit. So it's kind of a way I, I think I like to honor him um, as he has passed on. So it, yeah, like I think it's just, I'm really drawn to people that um, are different from me and can challenge me where I can be the minority and sit back and be like, you know what, I, I want to feel uncomfortable for once and, you know, let you feel comfortable in your own space, if that makes sense. It totally makes sense. And I, I love that. I, I know your, your dad is smiling right now and I'm, Mm -hmm. um, I have goosebumps too, because I, I I know he'd be so proud of that. Um, and it is in honor of him and, and it's the right thing to do. So, um, so you touched on this a little bit and I, I, we didn't really chat about opening this, this piece up a little bit, but tell Mm -hmm. me what it's like to work in a, Mm -hmm. first of all, a women owned, woman Mm -hmm. owned business, but not only that, but a black woman owned business. Mm -hmm. And I know that you and your husband support local black businesses, but mm-hmm. you're in it. You're deep in it. How does that how does that feel for you? It's really interesting. I feel like I've gotten a crash course again <laughs> in a way mm-hmm. sure, of sure. um because I haven't worked hand in hand or this closely with um a black woman before, um, really in leadership. So it's been really um fun for me and really it's gotten me to think about things on a whole different level because she's not only a black owned business, she's a woman owned business. So she's a double minority and the struggles that she has shared. I mean, she has shared countless stories and I won't name names, but in Baltimore, when she's dealt with, um, you know, white clients coming in and realizing that she was the owner and walking right back out. And, um, just those stories are so common and still happening, um, to this day. Um, you know, working in the wedding industry, it can be very one faceted and it's, it's actually getting better. It's getting a lot better. Um, but it still has a ways to go. And so she has a lot of stories. Um, and so I really feel like I've sat at her feet at times and just really have learned firsthand, um, you know, what it's like to walk a mile in her shoes and just, um, even just being a minority, I think, like I'm the minority when I'm in her business. A lot of times she, she works with a lot of black women and, um, we have a a diverse staff. And so it constantly puts me in that, like, kind of just audience seat where I get to watch and experience, um, just culturally, uh, similarities these women share together and, and just the shared experience of pain and, and, struggle through the years. So it's just been really, yeah, amazing. And honestly, sometimes a challenge, like it's, I'm glad you asked that because just last week, this is really interesting. I, so I manage their social media as well. And I got this message, um, from a person and she basically was like, um, I don't, I don't see this. I don't see a black woman on your page, but you say you're black owned. I just don't understand like why, like, you know, are, is this really for real? Like I, and she's like, I'm not even really trying to be disrespectful, but I also want to know. And it was just very interesting the way, but if you look on our page, it is very diverse and very like, you can see black women all over our page. So I came up with an answer back, but it took me some time. And I even, I, I asked Phil for some guidance just to answer in the best diplomatic way possible, but yeah, it, it's. Right. And how do you, how do you answer that when you're seeing what you think they should be seeing, but they're, right. they're not, they're looking at the same page, but not seeing it. And and it's you intentionally put that there, yeah. but it didn't represent what they, what they wanted it to represent. I guess not. And who knows if they're just, they were just fishing and, you know, Correct. wanting 
to sure. trip me up a bit. I, I think sometimes that's what happens on social media. It's a very dark place sometimes. And I think people and really just want to catch you a little bit, you know, in, in something and, and that you're not prepared, you know, to answer. So um, yeah, I met with those, those interesting challenges, but it, it just really has, I think already grown me so much more from when I met, I met Tanya in 2019. And I feel like I've just learned so much um, from her um, experiences. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like something we should all have time to do or make time in our schedules to do. That's yeah. fantastic. So, so you have had those experiences. So um, because you're so immersed in the black community in that way, in addition to having Phil and his family right there with you, um, do you find that when the two of you, when you and Phil are out, do you find that you have experiences where you feel like because you're a, a mixed couple, people are looking at you or people are saying things to you, or have you had any negative experiences in that or, or not so much because you're, you have a greater understanding, maybe it doesn't hit you as much. Yeah. Um, yeah, so absolutely. I think it, it's funny. It depends on where you are in the country. (laughs) So, um, and yeah, it's really interesting. So I think when we go back home, we're always reminded that we're back home. We're like, okay. Yeah. Like we have to kind of readjust. Um, it's, it's a very white area. It's a very conservative area. And, um, you know, I think a lot of times it's more of like looks, at us, not in an aggressive way, but more like a curious way, but it almost feels aggressively driven, if that makes sense. Like the curiosity is kind of like, why is this so interesting to you? <laughs> you know, <Right>. yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, we, we do, we try not to be cynical about it every time. Um, I was saying to you before that we both love fashion and style and um, together we, we can be stylish together. And so I think sometimes we're like, oh, you know, like that's me. I'm, I'm like, we're oh, cute. We're, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> but I think we've learned to decipher between um, just the looks of admiration or the looks of just like, I, I don't like that they're together or a, a, sometimes from like, um, white, a white man, maybe my age, um, he, mm-hmm. he'll look at Phil a certain way and Phil, Phil will definitely be like, yeah, he doesn't like that. I'm with you. <laughs> um, right, right. so we definitely have experienced that. Um, we've been called out on the street a few different times in, um, in Baltimore and in Lancaster, um, in, in aggressive ways. Like they'll say a word, they'll, they'll say, uh, excuse me, they'll say a phrase that sounds positive, but it's aggressive. Like, you know, oh, look at you, look mm-hmm. at you. And you know mm-hmm. that they're like, they're just not happy, um, about it. So yeah, absolutely. Oh, no. And I, and I think we felt, um, so when Kevin and I dated, we were, you know, young and, um, we thought we were pretty trendy too. And, and <laughs> um, back in the day, and I think it comes across as, um, not understanding, like you said, or, that we think we're better than mm, yep. the other people out there. And and never did we think that. But I think sometimes when you put um, an bi- uh, interracial couple together and you tend to carry yourselves a little bit stronger, a little mm-hmm. either more confident or just more guarded, mm. um, sometimes that presents as I'm a little better than you. And I don't think that oh, we wow. ever felt that way. But That is um, such a good perspective. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that just Something gave that- me like an aha moment. Like I have to I share know. that with Phil because- <laughs> I think that's what it is. Sometimes we, we kind of walk into a place a little bit prepared. And yes. so I think it must come off that way sometimes, which is really an interesting perspective. I will definitely right. chew on that. <laughs> I can definitely tell from talking to you and getting to know you that that is not at all your intent. So that I, I think, but, but that's yeah. part of the whole problem is getting to know the people behind the people and not making. Yeah. So when you even spoke earlier about, you know, having children with um, depending on what shade of skin they have mm-hmm. and, and so then the whole conversation of colorism and how, mm-hmm. um, lighter skinned 
black people may have more opportunity or mm. lighter skin biracials. And, um, but to that point, it also is empowering to be in a place where your skin is lighter and you can step into a conversation and maybe have a voice, help, have people help people have a voice when they don't mm-hmm. have a voice. And for mm-hmm. you guys, I think same, you can be confident and walk into these places, but you can also advocate just like you do. You're working in a black owned business. You're a mission driven servant servant. And so you have both insights, which I just think is fantastic. Mm, um, thank you. And you're taking action on it, which is so great. So, mm. um, I think the only other thing I, I have so many things I could talk to oh, you forever, but, um, and this has been so great. And I, I really appreciate you being so open and, and vulnerable, um, with me and, and the audience. But one of the things that I wondered is does, does Phil, is there anything that triggers him, so to speak? And I use that word kind of with air quotes, um, mm-hmm. that would kind of tend to dive you guys into a deeper conversation about race and, mm-hmm. and racial bias or, mm-hmm. Yeah. Know, is there anything that, you know that kind of triggers him that way? Yeah, for sure. Um, and it's funny, I, you know, we go along with life and, you know, things mm-hmm. we just are in our own routine. And then I think with Phil, it's this last year or so with everything that has been so loud in the news with George Floyd and um, the riots and just, I mean, oh my gosh, this past year has been really uh, insane media wise. So that's like triggering for sure. So it's, it's something we don't talk about, but then if it's, yeah, in his face, he'll, hi, pup. <laughs> um, he will, yeah, he'll be triggered. And I think, um, I think also like him coming from a very, he actually grew up in a very white background. Like he went to um, a private school when he was in um, high school and it was a very white school. And then he went to a private college, which was a very, it was kind of diverse, but mostly white again. And so I think his, his story, a lot of times that he shares is that he was the token black friend or, yeah. you know, yeah. he was, right. well, there's oh my, my black friend. Like that's, that's and they, like, they would literally use those terms. And it was like funny to them that they had this like oh one gosh. black friend. Um, and so he, he knew that was always, he was always going to be that guy in these circles. Right. Um, right. and I think like, you know, he's definitely gotten like those conversations from people in the past, like from white people saying like, oh, but you, you dress so well, or you speak right. so well. And oh it's all those like micro, micro aggressions. Yes, right. Right. Yes. Oh um, and so that really triggers him. So it's interesting. It will be definitely the things in the media, but sometimes he'll just have a memory, like a memory of him growing up in a church or maybe he'll see something on Facebook and he'll be like, Oh my gosh, those people, they, yeah. Like I just remember. And like, they would treat his sister a certain way. Um, and you know, that's another story of just her being, um, you know, a black young girl in a white church and white, right. white people around her and just them not really understanding her and not taking the time to understand her. Um, and just automatically would assume she's a certain way because she's quiet or, you know, and I think it's harder it's it just everything about maybe a quiet or more timid personality. And I'm just speaking about his sister, but yeah, um, sure. if you're a black woman and you're timid and quiet, you're just gonna, people are just going to assume you're a certain way. You're not like a nice, yeah, it's just, it's interesting. So, but all that to say with Phil, I think it's definitely on um, the word like trigger. Like he just has these moments where he's just like, oh, yeah, like I did that or I, I experienced that or um, or even just like, I, a lot of times want to watch, um, historic black movies or historic, 
um, just, you know, things about black people. And, and he, yeah. he like, is like, no, like he, like, really? he's, oh, he's so not one, yeah, he's not one to want to sit down and like, he's like, this is my experience all the time. Like, I don't, right. it's a very, it's, it. yeah, it's layered. It's very layered there with like how he feels about, um, you know, rehashing or thinking about his struggle, even historically, I think it's really hard for him. So, yeah. So how, how do you find the strength and the grace to hold space for him then? Because you know, it's not every single time you're going to, he's going to want to have a big, deep dialogue, right? So <laughs> how do you hold space so that when he's ready to talk through it, you're there and available for him? Hmm. Mm, that's a good question. I think it's really uh, case by case. Yeah. So I think I can tell when he just needs to unleash and, you know, maybe talk about a bad memory or, um, and it's, it's honestly, that comes down to really understanding each other um, right. and, just you know, having person. that foundation and friendship, but also like, you know, bringing faith back into it too. Like, I think um, a lot of times in this past year or so, when there's just been such a struggle in the nation and po- police brutality and we've just taken it to God and just like prayed over his heart and his, his soul, our future kids, like protection. And, um, yeah. So I think it comes down to, um, me as like a, a woman of faith asking God for wisdom too to know how to like handle those situations. Um, cause I don't think I definitely don't always get it right. And I, I push sometimes because I want to know, um, and I want to be, I want to be educated, but um, there's only, you know, so far that I, I can, I think that I can push where, yeah, he, you just have to know when your, your partner is ready, I think to, to do that. But it's, it's a hard, it's definitely a hard balance for sure. It is. It is a hard balance and it's also because you're still living life. So it's not that you're sitting waiting for those moments. It's, it may be in a moment where you're making dinner or you're running out the door, but he, he needs to talk or, yep. he, you know, you're not quite ready. And I think, um, you know, just laying it in front of God is absolutely one of the best things you can do. I believe that. And the Holy spirit always puts the right words in your mouth always. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. if you just yep. walk in that faith too. So I love that. Thank you for that. Um, so kind of to wrap everything up and my, my final kind of question is, are there any steps that you can think of top of mind? What can mm-hmm. we do? Like, what are the steps we can take? We are women, women of action. We all want to do something to help. And so one I know is is holding space for our our partners, um, but are there any other steps that we can take either as women in our family or even as a you know kind of a society? I know that's a big yeah big question. Oh my goodness, yeah. I think as partners, like speaking to just white women, to you know being married to black their black husbands, I think um, what I said earlier, the accountability. I think that's just really huge when you just walk into that and just also being like really vulnerable and saying, wow, I didn't know that. Like, I feel really silly that I've lived how X amount of X amount of years. And I didn't realize that happened or what redlining is or all these like historical Mm -hmm. things that I wasn't taught as a kid. Um, and so just being vulnerable enough with your partner to be like, I'm embarrassed to say that I didn't know that. And I'm really sorry that you went through it. I mean, I, I feel like that even happened a week ago. Like I, there are just things that I still am learning day to day that I'm like, wow, you, I just, I didn't even realize, you know, that, yeah. um, that was your experience. So I think that first is just being, and that's, I mean, I guess that would be good for society too. I mean, really I as white, as white citizens in the society, just acknowledging that like, we don't have the answers and we, we we're sorry, you know, we're sorry that we didn't realize, um, your experience. And so I think starting with that humble attitude and then 
um, going from there is just really purely trying to educate yourself, like not leaning on your, your friends who are black or your husband's that black, who's black, but leaning on, um, you know, the resources that are so readily available at our fingertips these days to just pick up a book, pick up a, a podcast or, um, you know, just a lesson, um, and just listen to someone, you know, and just spend some time in their shoes and, um, you know, you don't have to go out and volunteer or anything as much as maybe I would encourage it, but maybe at least start there um, and try to just find those resources yourself and not be lazy. <laughs> no, no, I think that's, that's right. Because it's not, it's not going to happen if you don't right. take that action step for sure. Mm-hmm. And I, mm-hmm. I think also finding community with women who are similar and who are in similar relationships, like, which is what we're, we're doing with this podcast too. But I think it's, um, it's, None of us maybe have all the answers, but when one person really reads a book or finds a resource and shares it, then then that can help tap three or four other people who say, oh gosh, let me look into that and understand. But meanwhile, I learned this and I learned that. And I think it's right. a lot of sharing is another really good way to um, to help us, well, educate one another too. So I love oh, yeah. that. It's definitely doable. And it's something that we we have really the responsibility, like you said, and the accountability to get started on mm-hmm. right away mm-hmm. for sure. So absolutely. Well, my friend Katie, I have loved chatting with you. I I love your um your energy and your faith and mm-hmm. just your outlook on this um beautiful relationship that you have with your husband. I'm super excited. I, I can't wait for kids one day for you. I think that'll be great and you'll do great <laughs> with them. Um, but I want to thank you again for taking the time to chat with me tonight. Oh my gosh. Thank you, Joan. And I, I have to thank you just for opening up this forum and, you know, doing what you're doing and your, your community and your world to just spread um, this positivity and kind of enlightenment among uh, us <laughs> white citizens of America <laughs> and the world. Um, no, it's really, it really is so beneficial and um, just please keep plugging away at it. I will do that. And thank you for your <laughs> encouragement too. That means the world to me. So for those of you that are listening, if you'd like to learn more about our podcasts um, and our programs, you certainly can check out my website at togetherwelovewithjoangreen.com. Or you can find me on Instagram at togetherwelove.jmg and um, stay tuned. But thank you again, Katie, and you have a great rest of your evening. Thank you. You too, Jane. All right, guys. We'll talk again soon. Bye-bye now. Thanks again for listening in to another episode of Navigating Two Worlds. So here are our takeaways. One, we heard a beautiful love story grounded in faith of how Katie and Phil met, married, and then joined their two families together. Two, Katie spoke about having a passion for understanding people who are different from herself at an early age. She believes in immersing herself in other cultures, most specifically the black community, to gain firsthand understanding and education. Three, we learned about how Katie credits her father for his influence of mission and ministry as a reason why she is able and willing to view the world from an open cultural perspective. And four, Katie shares with us a few steps that we can all take within our own interracial relationships as the non-Black partner. She says, be vulnerable. When he is sharing his experiences with you, be able to say, I didn't know that, or I didn't realize that, if you really don't know, in order to open up the dialogue. Make time to truly intentionally educate yourself Don't lean on your spouse for all the answers and take personal accountability for gaining understanding and learning 
in your home and outside of your home. So if you want to learn more about um, our mission and what we're doing, please feel free to join us on this journey. And you can find out this information at togetherwelovewithjoangreen.com or on Instagram at togetherwelove.jmg. Thanks again for listening and we'll talk soon.